0: Chapter Three of Zaphloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Zaphloya by Charlotte Docker. Chapter Three. That it is, but too often an ungenerous principle in human nature first most ardently to desire the possession of a certain object and despise it when obtained cannot be disowned in the present instance however there was an exception to this principle a real passion had absorbed for the first time the heart of the seducer ardolph to have estranged from a husband the honour of his wife to have gained over her sacred virtue a dreadful ascendancy did not satisfy him he resolved to possess her wholly to blast the doting husband with conviction of his dishonour to plunge his offspring in eternal ruin and disgrace and to despoil them of the protection and tender services of a mother for the achievement of this purpose he found it necessary to degrade completely in her own eyes the miserable and deluded larina then Profiting by her agony and despair, he represented to her that it was in fact adding to her guilt, in a most flagrant and abominable degree, to remain under the roof of him she conceived herself to have so deeply injured. Was it not adding treachery to dishonor? And was it not, in reality, the crime of deceiving, under such circumstances, far beyond that of acknowledging her guilt, by an immediate and honorable flight if the treasure is gone pursued the sophisticating ardolph the casket can but little avail and could you then larina live a life of deception deluding your husband in the idea of fondly possessing a treasure that is no longer his oh no no cried the wretched wife leave me oh cruel ardolph fly for ever from me here will i remain and die and may the tortures i now endure expiate in the sight of a merciful god the most infamous of crimes but ardolph the eloquent friend whose seductive blandishments had so far destroyed the delicate fabric of connubial happiness was not to be diverted from the most material part of his task for slight is the perseverance required to achieve that which is already more than half accomplished he vowed and he even believed at the moment that his vow was sincere that while life endured he would adore her who for his sake had forfeited so much my children oh my children deeply sighed the frantic lorina may those children exclaimed ardolph CALLING UPON OUTRAGED HEAVEN TO ATTEST THE PRAYER, MAY THOSE CHILDREN WITNESS, NAY, PERPETRATE MY DESTRUCTION, SHOULD EVER MY HEART BECOME COLD TOWARDS THEE. LET US FORBEAR TO DWELL ON THIS SCENE OF WEAKNESS ON THE ONE HAND, AND DEPRAVITY ON THE OTHER. COMPLETE AS HE COULD WISH WAS THE TRIUMPH OF THE SEDUCER. HE BORE HIS VICTIM FROM THE SCENES OF HER PAST HONOR AND HER HAPPINESS he bore her from her home, from the arms of her husband, from the embraces of her children, and far from Venice, the place of her nativity. To paint the horror of Loredani when he discovered the perfidy of those whom his noble heart had cherished and relied on, the wife he had fondly adored, the guest he had received and trusted, would, if expression could do justice to it, superfluous he beheld himself at once the wretched the desolate and the only guardian of his forsaken children forsaken by her who had given them birth from the wildness of despair he emerged and strung himself to virtuous resolution determined while his heart would hold from breaking to live for his children and to supply to them as far as the love and protection of a father could the fallen but once virtuous mother they had lost thus did the marquess court to his aid those divine energies of which good minds are ever susceptible but another trial awaited him still scarcely had he acquired fortitude to leave the gloomy solitude of his chamber ere fresh wounds were inflicted upon his lacerated heart By the horrid tidings that leonardo his son the pride and heir of his house had soon as the flight of his mother became known rushed from his home and never since returned well did the proud though agonized father trace in this action of his boy his noble tenacious and impetuous spirit well did he trace exult and participate in the glorious feelings whose ebullition could not be restrained and while he deplored the rashness of such conduct he adored the sentiment that had impelled it yet fondly he hoped that the young enthusiast when the indignant fervor of the moment should have subsided would return to be pressed in the arms of his widowed parent and to mingle his tears with his he entertained the idea that under the first painful impression of shame and grief he had perhaps secreted himself at the house of a friend but when every friend had been questioned and day after day had elapsed and still he came not the expectant heart-sick and disappointed father with bitter reluctance resigned all hope and pressing his solitary daughter in his arms saw concentred in her all that must attach him to existence and preserve him from despair victoria thus the idol the hope and only solace of the heart-broken marquess was become the deity to which the house looked up her word was law throughout and to dispute the smallest of her wishes would have been deemed amounting to sacrilege ever of a bold and towering spirit haughty fond of sway It was with difficulty that her partial mother could occasionally administer a slight reproof but now with an unlimited scope for the growth of these dangerous propensities they bade fair soon to overtop the power of restriction vainly did the marquess hope that time by maturing her reason and improving her ideas would correct the wrong bias of her character for strict education alone can correct the faults in our nature, they will not correct themselves. If improper tendencies are engendered by early neglect, education may still work a reform, for we are in a great measure the creatures of education, rather than of organization. The former can almost always surmount the defects of the latter. Thus, though Victoria in childhood gave proof of what is termed somewhat injudiciously a corrupt nature yet a firm and decided course of education would so far have changed her bent that those propensities which by neglect became vices might have been ameliorated into virtues for example haughtiness might have been softened into noble pride cruelty into courage implacability into firmness but by being suffered to grow entirely wild they overrun the fair garden of the mind and prevented proper principles from taking root what then must be thought of the unfortunate and guilty mother who making light of the sacred charge devolving on her the welfare of her children as depending on the just formation of their minds not only neglects that sacred charge but seals the flat of their future destruction by setting them in her own conduct an example of moral depravity, depriving them of the world's respect, and rendering them thereby indifferent to their own. With saddened eyes the marquess traced occasionally the progress of his daughter's character, but he endeavored to disguise from himself the suspicion that her heart was evil. To add to his unhappiness, the society of Victoria was generally shunned, not in reality on account of the disgrace brought upon her by her mother's conduct but on account of her own violent and overbearing disposition which rendered her obnoxious to the young nobility of venice the haughty girl however attributed the neglect she experienced to the former cause and as such conceiving herself deprived of the world's consideration became daily more indifferent regarding it thus do vicious minds lay hold of every excuse for the pursuance of evil one evening about a year having elapsed since the departure of Lorena, as she sat in sullen silence by her sorrowing parent he turned affectionately towards her and said wherefore victoria dost thou debar thyself of the amusements befitting thine age and situation to sit in cheerless solitude with me why dost thou not invite to thee thy friends and acquaintances and visit them in return victoria haughtily returned because they would neither come to me nor suffer me to go to them and why so eagerly inquired the marquess because my mother has disgraced us gloomily replied the unfeeling victoria never had the name of his unfortunate wife been uttered by the marquess since her ignominious flight never had he reverted to or even breathed a reproach upon the baseness of her conduct the cruel victoria had roughly touched a string that reverberated to agony the wretched father struck his forehead and springing from his seat cast a look of anguish on his daughter and rushed from the apartment but the recollection she had awakened the feelings of bitterness she had renewed rent his bosom with renovated torture never never had the memory of the misguided lorina's ingratitude left his torn mind in secret he had brooded over his misery in secret where no eye could reproach him for his weakness he had deplored and fondly loved but never in the presence of a human being had he appeared to remember that he had once possessed a wife Pride preserved him from public regret, but his lacerated heart paid for it when alone. Unable to bear longer in solitude the keenness of those sensations excited by his daughter, he left, as the cool breezes of night came on, his secluded chamber. He sought by motion to disturb the chain of thought that formed heavy in his mind, and to fly, if possible, from himself he had wandered about some time when in an unfrequented part of the city he beheld a man walking swiftly before him he was enveloped in a cloak but the outlines of his figure were such as to send through the frame of the marquess sensations of tingling horror followed by a rage so frantic as almost to deprive him of sense he thought that in the stranger he beheld ardolph the machinating villain Who had blasted his every hope and happiness unknowing what he did unaware of the violence and rapidity of his own emotions he dented after the person and tearing aside his cloak discovered indeed the wretch he had imagined draw monster devil and incendiary exclaimed the frantic husband at the same time snatching his stiletto from his bosom i have no sword coolly returned the count but I have, like yourself, a stiletto that shall be at your service. The marquess heard no more. He struck, and struck again, with desperate fury, at the body of this antagonist. But his aim was rendered unsure by his thirst for vengeance, by the raging and uncontrolled passions of his soul. The count, calm and self-collected, parried with hellish dexterity his indiscriminate attempts but receiving at length the point of his adversary's stiletto in his shoulder he suffered an impulse of rage to nerve his hand and retreating for an instant then furiously advanced and plunged his dagger to the hilt in the breast of the unfortunate loradani thus did he become the murderer of the husband as he had been already the seducer of his wife and his guilt at the far of heaven assumed a die seven times deeper than before the instant that the marquess fell ardolph hurried from the spot first taking care to conceal his stiletto and to wrap his cloak closely around him to seek assistance for the being he had inhumanly sacrificed entered not his ignoble mind there then weltering in his blood might the marquess have remained but for the arrival of some passengers who, on ascertaining his rank and residence, conveyed him to the Palazzo Loredani. Thither a surgeon, being immediately summoned, dressed his wound, and to the feeble yet earnest inquiries of the marquess felt compelled to pronounce it mortal. "'Tell me the utmost,' in a firm though low voice he said, "'that it is possible for me to exist.' "'No longer than to-morrow, I fear,' the surgeon slowly replied." "'Tis enough,' said the Marquess. "'Let my daughter be sent to me.' "'My lord, you must not talk,' observed the professional attendant. Loredani looked upon him with an anguished smile. "'If I have so few hours to live,' he said, "'what have I to guard against? Let me see my daughter.' "'My lord, your death will be hastened.' The Marquess feebly waved his hand. Victoria was called. She entered the room with slow and trembling steps she gazed upon the death-marked features of her father with horror and regret horror at the situation in which she saw him and regret at the thought of having given him a few hours before a pang so deep of this emotion was victoria susceptible therefore at this moment her heart was not utterly depraved she approached the bedside of her father her naturally stubborn heart now deeply and profoundly affected. The dying marquess stretched forth his parched and trembling hand. She took it, and pressing it to her bosom, sank upon her knees beside him. Oh, my child, my Victoria,' he faintly began, "'I am snatched from thee at a time and season "'when least thou canst afford to lose me. "'Yet ere I die, let me, oh my love, Perform my duty to heaven and to thee. Let me implore thee to suffer my dying counsels, to sink deep into thy heart. My Victoria, correct, if thou canst, the errors of thy disposition. Think upon what we are. Think on life, how unsure, how unstable in its possession. Think that, in the midst of buoyant health, elate in youthful pride, surrounded by riches, and every gratification they can procure, that still, even for a moment, we cannot insure it. Some dreadful, unforeseen event, some accident arises and puts us off. Let not, therefore, the riches thou wilt in all probability be mistress of, render thee proud or self-confident. Let them not cause thee to forget we are but the creatures of a day, existing we know not how, and reserved for, we know not what. Let not the independence of thy fortune render thee unfeeling or inaccessible, nor think that the accidental circumstances of birth and riches render it unnecessary for thee to abide by the strictest rules of virtue. Remember that in proportion to the elevation of thy rank thy inferiors will look up to thee, and therefore it becomes a moral obligation on thee to keep a guard over thy conduct so that no possible evil may be derived from thy example for thou wilt be hereafter responsible for whatever vices are imitated from thee and for whatever contamination thou mayest cause in the society of which thou art a member be not deluded with the ignoble idea that it is less incumbent on thee to be virtuous than those below thee for in proportion as thou hast power and scope for the commission of evil and the gratification of self so in proportion is thy merit in forbearance and a steady rectitude of conduct how glorious is it to live with dignity and decorum footnote, Cicero and to reign in the fiery wilderness of the passions to place happiness in the highest perfection of which our nature is capable and to remember that we live to become worthy of a higher state than that which we at present move in overcome with pain and weakness the marquess suddenly ceased nor had his counsel been delivered but in a faltering voice broken every now and then from excess of anguish the exertion which from a principle of duty he forced himself to make struck forcibly to the heart of victoria the time was past midnight a pale lamp emitted its faint rays over the spacious chamber and shewed the pallid features of her father of that father whose love for her even in death taught him to despise his own agony the pause he had made was solemn and affecting the scene impressed her imagination and his words her mind while the silence the gloomy silence that reigned around was only interrupted by her sobs the wan hand of the marquess hung over the bed victoria held it to her heart his dim eyes were fixed upon her with an expression of love and bitter regret oh my victoria thou wilt be unprotected he faintly said and a deep sigh rose from his heavy heart as dreadful recollections passed through his brain suddenly a noise was heard the door of the apartment flew open and in rushed no it was no delusion the figure of lorina heaven do i behold aright feebly cried loridani endeavouring to raise himself in his bed or is death so near that already dim shadows the semblance of former friends hover before my eyes oh my god oh loridani my injured husband bless me i implore oh you cannot yet forgive oh forgive me ere you die curse me not with your last breath so saying the frantic lorina threw herself prostrate on the ground by the side of the bed where lay her dying husband cut off by her guilt and misconduct in the flower of his life loridani succeeded for an instant in raising his head upon his hand a heavenly and celestial expression irradiated his features he gazed upon the prostrate wretch beside him with the look of a pitying angel then motioning to victoria he said retire my child for a moment when she was withdrawn larina said he in a low solemn voice arise she raised herself upon her knees but covered her face with her hands larina said he again in the voice of a man who, conscious he has not long to live, desires to say nothing idly. Larina, look upon me. There was in his manner which impelled obedience, and the eyes of his guilty wife met his. Larina, it is yet in thy power to repair, in some measure, the evil thou hast done. When I am laid in the grave, seek out, if possible, thy son, that son who fled his home, on the discovery of thy perfidity." seek him and if it should please heaven that thou shouldst prove successful retire with him and thy daughter victoria far from venice for venice methinks is no longer a place for thee endeavor to expiate by a life of penitence the great crimes thou hast been guilty of for dreadfully as thou hast marred the happiness and the honor of thy children perhaps it is not destroyed retire then TO WHERE THOU ART UNKNOWN, AND HEREAFTER IN THE WORLD THEY MAY CLAIM CONSIDERATION AND RESPECT. BUT, O Lorena, TREMBLE, IF THOU RETURNEST TO GUILT AND INFAMY. ETERNAL DESTRUCTION, THEN, BETIDES BOTH THEE AND THEM. THERE IS NO REDEMPTION. NEVER WILL THE IMPRESSION OF THIS NIGHT FADE FROM THE MIND OF VICTORIA, IF THOU WILT YET HAVE COURAGE AND RESOLUTION TO ABANDON THY GUILTY CAREER and to instill into her mind by thy future example principles of virtue and honor lorina unfortunate and once loved wife thou wilt make thyself answerable by thy conduct not only for the life and future actions of thy daughter but for the fiat which will go forth respecting her when she renders up her great account ponder then well upon the mighty charge that, by appearing before me at this awful moment, that bringest upon thyself, yes, on thy example, then who couldst desert mine innocent and lovely offspring? On thy example wilt the life and conduct of thy daughter now be formed. Oh, spare me, spare me, cried the wretched Larina, in accents of despair. I swear. Let my Victoria enter, said the Marquess gasping for breath i have i have not a moment to live larina rose and bade victoria enter as she approached quick my child cried Loridani, and embraced thy mother larina now swear to protect and cherish thy daughter to preserve her from evil and from the contamination of bad example i swear i swear articulated larina in a voice drowned by sobs "'and pressed convulsively her daughter to her bosom. "'Victoria, swear,' murmured the marquess, "'that thou wilt forget the errors "'and imitate the future virtues and example of thy mother.' "'I swear, father,' in a solemn voice answered Victoria. "'Oh, God, I thank thee, thank thee,' gasped the dying Loredani. "'Kiss me, my vict my thy hand, Lorena. I forgive thee, O God, my God, I die content, thus perished in the flower of his days, the noble loridani the victim of a man's ingratitude and of a woman's depravity. End of chapter Three.